Our Father, who art in heaven, You may be seated, please. Before we get into the morning scripture, I just want to take a moment to kind of recap what we had looked at last week. Last week, we began to look at the life of Samson and why he was raised up in the hour of history that he was. And he was raised up, what we found out was, he was raised up to be the answer to a national crisis for Israel because they had been suffering under the hands of the Philistines, under enemy occupation for more than 40 years. We learned that Samson was to be raised from the womb as a Nazarite, completely and totally dedicated unto God. He was to live different from any other man, socially to be different, never to eat of the vine or drink of it, but to be completely intoxicated only by God and God himself. He was never to touch any dead thing. He was never supposed to marry outside of his family line. These were all supposed to be things to keep him before the Lord. We began by looking at three points of Samson's life. And we got through the, the first point and through half of the second point. And the, these points were this. Number one, we looked at his strength and what was the secret of it. We looked at his weakness and why the weakness drained away. And we got halfway through that point. And then we'll finish that today and then we'll get into the point three. And we'll look at his magnificent final end which I call his strength through weakness. And this morning's reading comes out of the book of Judges, chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. And the word of God says this. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are on you, or upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with the bronze shackles. They set him to the grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. 
So now we here we find Samson in this part of the story. He's actually now at his wedding. <clears throat> and like the weddings of our day, Samson had a groomsman. And he had 30 men to attend him. And again, as customs are for us, as they were for them, he had to buy gifts for his groomsmen. And now Samson, feeling pretty good about himself, it's his wedding day, he's, you know, he's a very egotistical, arrogant man, you know, if you read the scriptures closely. And he's feeling pretty good about himself and pretty witty. He thinks to himself, I'll make a bet with these men. If they can answer my bet or my riddle, then I will give them each 30 sets of clothes. And if they can't, then they have to do the return for me and give me 30 sets of clothes. So he sets this riddle before them. And next slide, please. And the riddle is this. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now this is the point we begin to see in Samson's life. His greatest weakness is becoming apparent. Now, if someone was to ask you, you've heard the story of Samson, you're probably, if you've been raised in the church, probably since you were a child, what would you say his greatest weakness was? Most people say it was the women that was in his life. That's a very male answer. It's a very chauvinistic answer. I believe the women in his life were a, a very much an important part to his story. But I don't believe they were to complete an utter failure in the death of Samson. Not at all. Again, that would be the easy answer to give that was women. The answer lies completely 100% within himself. The kind of man he was ensured the type of women he got. Do you get that? If you want a particular, if you're a fisherman like I am, you want a particular fish, you don't go into the river to try to catch a walleye, at least in the Ohio River. I know people can do it. It's not a good idea. You'll usually catch a carp or a catfish. You need to go, if you want to get a certain thing, to go to a certain area. And he was going after Philistine women. And he wasn't supposed to. So he kept on getting the same type of woman because that's what he desired. When his first marriage broke down, Scripture tells us he took a prostitute. When that relationship didn't work out, he took a casual girlfriend, and her name was Temna. That didn't quite work out in his best interest either. Samson basically tasted every type of relationship there was that was out there. And the tragedy was this. None of those relationships gave him true love. Not any of these women would put himself before her. Every one of these women were vulnerable. Every one of them could be manipulated and intimidated. Not one of them gave him love. And the reason why is, again, because he looked for the wrong things in them. If a man looks for a woman the way Samson did, 
again, they'll most likely end up with the same type of woman as Samson did. Samson had one test, beloved. If a woman was correct for him, it was all visual. If she looked right, was she beautiful, was she pretty, was she attractive? His eyes completely settled the matter for himself. It's ironic, though, is it not? Because his eyes would be the very first thing that the Philistines would gouge out. Those sightless sockets will never have that problem again. The Philistines actually helped Samson in this area of temptation by removing his eyes. They did him a favor. He would never be tempted like that again. Also, Samson, again, like I mentioned earlier, was never supposed to marry outside of his faith, outside of his uh, Hebrew people. Because it would also defile him. But his parents didn't really put up a fight with him. And if he said, I like that girl there, they would go and get her for him. It can be argued because he was a special child from the womb, set apart at birth, that his parents spoiled him and gave him what he wanted. Now we come again to this woman named Timna, his second wife. Again, she wasn't especially necessarily a bad individual, but she wasn't extremely loyal to him, was an extremely loyal companion to Samson. She wasn't willing to sacrifice herself or her family for Samson. And we see this when the groomsmen come to her to find out the answer to the riddle. And they say to her, and they threaten her, if you don't tell us this answer, we will kill you and we will burn your family. It can be said if she really had loved him, she wouldn't have gave in to him. And she would have probably, you would think, you would like to think, you would be able to say, well, go ahead and do with me what you will or my family. That, there's a lot of fear there, a lot of extreme coercion and intimidation. It's easy to say, well, I could be that strong and not give in. Could you? Or would we be like Timna? And she gives in. We know this. But because she didn't love him that much, she allowed her fear to override her love for him. So she pestered him day after day to get the answer to the riddle. And the sad truth is that Samson obviously didn't love her that much either, or he wouldn't have given into her emotion and given her the answer. When Samson hears the answer from the groomsmen, immediately anger arises. He's seething. He's burning inside. And he says this. Listen to these strong words of Samson. If you haven't been plowing with my heifer, you would have never known the answer. He is enraged. And at this point, he is going to launch out of the wedding. And the best thing that Samson's known for is revenge. His whole life has always been set on revenge and getting back. 
That was the prime motivation in Samson's life. Samson was never the person to stop and pray and ask God, why are these things continuing to happen in my life? Never giving God the opportunity to tell him, because there's weakness there, it makes you vulnerable. As far as we can tell by examining Scripture, Samson was not that much of a praying man until he gets himself into difficult situations. And even then, it is very rare that he will pray. One of the most astonishing things is even though the Samson was weak, catch this, beloved, and arrogant and egotistical, God still went on with him in patience. When Samson needed strength, God would give it. God went on blessing Samson despite his weakness. Not only was Samson weak-willed and revengeful, but he was also overconfident and thought he could do whatever he wanted when he wanted. And the result was by him doing these things, he was using God's power in wrongful ways. And far from setting the Israelites free, making life better for them, he was continuing to make things worse. The Hebrews at that time were getting so frustrated with him, they basically give him an ultimatum and say, if you you continue on in the fashion you are, we're going to bind you up and hand you over ourselves. Now, I don't know if they could have done that or not, but they were were, uh, getting pretty flustered with him. But that never had to occur because now we come upon the situation of Samson and Delilah and his hair. Which brings us to another question. Was there really strength in his hair? The better question, was his hair magical, quote-unquote? And the answer is no. His hair was, did not cause him to have strength. His hair was not magical. So then what was it about his long hair? His long hair was the simple expression to be his utter dedication unto God that set him apart from others. When Delilah got the men to cut his hair, it was showing that this woman's continuing pestering could be put before God's once and all command. It was showing that even human pressure could take away the divine pressure. That this woman's will, for whatever reason, seemed to be greater in his life than the divine will of God. Excuse me, folks. Again, it was showing that human pressure could take away the divine will of God. And this was what was being displayed. When Samson stood there with his hair cut off and gone, what was being said was his dedication to God now was at an end. I have now allowed the pressure of this person to take God's place in my life. This was the depth of his weakness. Here we find him in the Gaza Strip, his eyes gouged out, he's chained like a wild beast 
on display for all to see, to be ridiculed by the Philistines. He's become a source of entertainment to the Philistines. He's placed on that treadmill to work like a beast. The man who was to be the answer to the national crisis, to be the hinge of history for Israel, is now chained in a prison, grinding grain on a mill, a mere object of ridicule. The real tragedy is not so much that this brought disgrace to Samson, but this brought disgrace to Samson's God. The Philistines were able to say, our God, Dagon, has done this. We have true power. Our religion is correct. Dagon did this to Samson. Beloved, I was wrestling all night. And I was really getting convicted because I had wrote something in my sermon and it just wasn't laying right in my heart. Because of what we are now have just entered into, and and I'm not going to probably preach about this anymore after this Sunday, but trying to understand the context of why we are now the global Methodist church. And I want to try to be really careful with my words. Because I think what, what I had wrote and what God was showing me about my own heart and he convicted me on, it's very easy when you're suffering through things, when you feel like the other group is the enemy, that you don't really want to look at yourself and your own heart. It's very easy to come at someone and say, look what you're doing and look what you're causing if you're following what I'm thinking. So the question is, how did we get here to this place? What caused this to transpire where we separated and became a new denomination? Years before all this was going on, although there were beheated topics and discussions at annual conferences, there was a word that was going around the annual conferences for a long time, they called us, we were a a big tent. Have you ever heard that terminology? We were a big tent because we were, you know, international and we got different cultures, different people groups, this, that, and the other. And if you didn't know, that's almost code language for, well, because you're different, you might have a little bit different beliefs, traditions, and whatnot in language. You continue to minister in, in your part of the world or country or region, how you want, and we'll do it how we want. There was no real strong standard, if you get what I'm saying. Although we pretended there was. And that word is what in, uh, in, in theology we call syncretism. Have you ever heard the word syncretism? Syncretism means you have one major organization, but you have multiple different ideologies and theologies. And you basically let everyone pick and choose and decide how you want, but we're going to pretend to have a standard. Well, it finally came to a head, did it not? And this is how we kind of basically got to where we are. And basically what the church was doing was, to simplify, was baptizing in these other thoughts and ideologies and allowed them to come in. And no one was holding anybody accountable. And that's the sad truth, beloved. 
So whose fault is it? I believe we all have ownership in it. Not just the ones who we completely 100% oppose, but I think even us who kind of decided, like, we didn't want to be bothered by it, we didn't want to talk about it, we didn't, you know, we just thought it would just go away if we ignored it. We all, and that includes me. I'm not pointing the finger. I mean, by pointing a finger this way, I got 10 pointing back at me, right? Hey, it starts right here. In the book of 1 Peter, it says this, and this is where the Lord was just binding me up and, and convicting my heart. From 1 Peter chapter 4, listen to the words of God. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Beloved, if we are not willing to look at our lives and be transparent before God, but yet we want to call the other people out, judgment's upon us first. We can't expect other people to change if we're not willing to own it for ourselves. Beloved, it begins here with us. We all have a part to play. Just as Samson did. It started with him. This is why God was chasing him down. This is why God allowed pain and things to happen in his life. But that wasn't the end of it, though, beloved. Again, these things I'm not, doesn't bring joy to my heart to profess, but it's part of the full gospel message. We need to hear these things. For what Samson did, it was bringing disgrace to his God. And it was dragging his Lord and Savior's name through the mud. Beloved, I believe people no longer or have a difficult time now seeing Jesus as, God, as a God to be reckoned with anymore. But almost rather be ridiculed. Throughout this whole situation, I mean, the media and the tension that this brought across our nation was horrendous from both sides. The question is, did it really bring disgrace upon the church? Or was it bringing disgrace, disgrace and bringing a liability upon our God? Have you ever thought about that? And the disgrace it brought to him and his name. Just think about that, beloved. Again, I underline, Samson's weakness brought discredit to God. But now, but now it becomes the next exciting phrase in all of this whole story. And maybe, you know, next to Jesus dying on the cross for salvation of our sins, I think this phrase is one of the most exciting. 
And it says this, but Samson's hair began to grow again. Imagine Samson feeling his head and starting to feel that stubble on his fingertips. I believe here, but I'm, and I'm speculating. I can't help but think if at this point, Samson began to think seriously for the first time in his life why he was in the place that he was in. Did he now first, for the first time begin to realize why maybe God had left him? Secondly, did he now begin to know and recognize where his strength really manifested from? And lastly, did he now begin to realize at this point he has nothing to lose? I believe Samson has now come to the place where he's willing to serve God with his all. Many people believe Samson's life ended in tragedy. But it's the exact opposite, beloved. It ended in triumph. Samson finally died to his own self-image. It wasn't about him. It was about God working through him. God now had someone he could use. God had needed Samson to be in a position of strength through weakness. The truth is, God will be able to do something more like with a person like Samson now than he could have done before. And the question we need to ask ourselves, though, is this. I believe God brought us through all this stuff over the last several years to get the church in position of strength through weakness. Did you ever think about that? He allows you to go through the hurt, the name-calling, all this stuff. He kind of blinded us and blindsided many of us. But to bring us to this place where our hair can begin to grow again. For he is the God of second chances and even third chances. Listen to what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so Christ's power may rest on me. Beloved, he has brought us to a place now where we are humbled, we're thankful to be where we are, but now he can begin to use us in a way that we've never been used before. Here stands Samson before the largest gathering of the Philistines he's ever had within his reach, numbering 3,000. All the five sheikhs are there, the five kings, within Samson's reach for the first time. With all the, even with all the failure, the bad decisions, the horrible character flaws, God honors Samson's prayer one last time and bestows power on him one last time. And as he reaches out to those pillars and pushes them over, killing himself and all the five kings and 3,000 people that day, because of this one moment in history, the Philistines withdraw 
not to bother Israel for another 20 years until young David comes on the scene with Goliath. Now I'm getting ready to close here, beloved. There are many spiritual profound lessons we can either read in Scripture and just taking note and heart of them and doing what it says, or like many of us, the life of hard knocks, where we have to learn the way Samson did. I would rather take the easier road for once in my life, read the scripture and, and try to do what it says. But I guess we all have to learn in our own ways. Let me ask you this, beloved. In this new season, as a new global Methodist church is emerging, do you feel your hair beginning to grow again? Are you feeling that sense of excitement? For this is what the Lord has in store for you. New things and new ways. For the Lord is about to do a new thing, the Bible tells us. If you please pray with me. Lord, you've brought not only this local congregation through major trials and sufferings, but you brought one-fifth of all churches out of the United Methodist nomination to the global church. One-fifth have suffered as well, along with this, this, this local body. And Father, I believe, Lord, the hair is beginning to grow again. You brought all these churches to a place where you've humbled them and brought them forth to a new place because you're wanting to do a new thing to establish your throne on this earth. Father, I would just pray, Lord, that your grace and your anointing and your power would be poured forth upon these people sitting here this day, that they would begin to see and know what you're doing in the heavenly places so they can apply those things here on this earth, in their town, in their schools, in their businesses, in their homes. Oh, Father, you want to do a new thing. Father, we just pray you continue to raise the standard in our church and in our homes and in our lives. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.